Good morning and welcome now to Dr. Andrew Corbett for the regular Wednesday morning discussion. Hi there, sir. How are you Good going? morning, Cameron. Great to be with you. And it's a kind of a, 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 an enchanting autumn. Yes, morning. It's you could certainly say not, that. Yes. certainly not bright and sunny, is it? No. Anyway. So you're talking today about uh, better writing. Yeah, writing better, better writing. Uh, this is not for people who are necessarily professional writers. A lot of this might seem obvious, but for those of us that dabble, those of us that put our hand to writing, and I think we all will at some stage, e- even if it's uh, today, of course, we, we we have so much text being bombarded at us, oh, yeah. whether it be email, we, we thought that text was going to die and then suddenly we're finding we're probably using more text than ever before Cameron yes and and agree with that one of the things that I encounter as somebody who runs a a college I have to mark certificate diploma and degree students projects and what I'm noticing is that with the rise of digital text, that is um, SMS on our phone, email, Facebook messaging, that kind of thing, it's almost becoming a dying art, the whole Mm. idea of being able to write well. Now, from the outset, there's a book I would strongly recommend to anybody who is considering writing, and I hope that there may be some people who have a story to tell and they want to write. And I'm not particularly going to tell you how to write a better novel, but I do want to give you some ideas on how to write better factual accounts, so non-fiction. So if you are interested in perhaps recording your family history or perhaps writing your own story, then some of these things would perhaps you might find beneficial. Yeah. And I would say from the outset, if you can go to Amazon.com, because I don't think you can readily find this book in Australia. I certainly had to get it from Amazon. I, I actually heard uh, several people talk about the, the, the benefit that they received from a particular book, and, and that book was by William Zinzer. Now that's uh, Z-I-N, I think it's double S-E-R, William Zinzer. Mm. And the book is actually called On Writing Well. And in that book, it's regarded as a classic book for any would-be author, William Zinzer gives some of the most practical tips on how to write well. So that's William Zinzer, Z-I-N-S-S-E-R. And if you read that book and, and Cameron oftentimes I'll read books on subjects that I I think I'm I'm pretty reasonable at and I, I, I don't need to benefit you know there's nothing I can much gain from this but I've learned over the years that the more you learn the more you realize there is to learn and so even if you think you, you're not a bad writer I, I, I would almost assure you you'll gain something from reading this book. So several of the ideas that I'm going to share with you actually come from William Zinzer. They've helped me. That many other writers have have also shared how these ideas from William Zinzer, who was a, I think he was a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. He was a, a an amazing writer in himself, 
and uh, was a commercial writer. In other words, he, he, he wrote for a living. But Cameron, words, written words, have the power to change history. Yeah, I agree with that. And not only that, written, well-written words can change people's lives, it can change entire nations, and it can inform a culture. That is if it's well-written. So when we're talking about words, and here we are, and you know, you and I both understand that we're in an audio soundbite culture. Yes. You know, yes. The, what right. is it? It, it takes um, uh, it takes five seconds to tell a lie, and on average, it takes about fifty-five seconds to rebut that lie, and the average news grab on the six o'clock news is ten seconds. Yeah. So in other words, it's th- there is so much damage that can be done with a sound bite. We almost now have to figure out how can we say a lot with less words. Mm. And for those of us that have found Twitter to be one of the greatest gifts of God to writers, you know the struggle that you'll have because... I think the old phones used to give you 160 characters to write an SMS. The new phones, it's, I think it's unlimited. I'm, I'm not sure, but you can just write really, really long messages. But when we, when we were limited to 160 characters and each of those messages cost, you know, 35 cents to send, you were very careful about what you wrote. You know, you, we, we would write our text messages and, oops, run out of characters. <coughs> go back, shorten it down. And, and, of course, now there's a whole new language that's, a, that's derived oh, yeah. from text messaging, you know, uh, lols to you and all that kind of stuff. Oh, and, yeah, there's heaps. <laughs> all that sort of thing. So we've got the, the, this thing called Twitter now, which doesn't even give you 160 characters. It gives no. you 140 characters. And it's quite an exercise to think yes. through how you can communicate something perhaps profound, in 140 characters. And the best way that I've found to do it is to actually make a a, a very concise statement, that is, you're trying to say a lot with with a few words, that then links to a fuller explanation of that statement. In other words, you, you may write a blog post, uh, which is a, a web page, essentially. Mm. You write that, and rather than tweet the whole thing, you just tweet, you, you just come up with a, one sentence, what that's about, and tweet that and put the link to the fuller explanation. Now, that also means that anyone who looks at your blog post and looks at, you know, you know 15, 20,000 words of explanation, you've probably lost them from the get-go. You have to be able to figure out how can I say a lot with a few words and that's quite an art that the art of being able to do that is is i i think one that is both a gift and it also is one that is a honed talent so when we're talking about writing well i I think firstly writing is more important than ever before well crafted well written words are valuable and they have a a powerful impact on people. So here's here's a thought, Cameron. Well 
written words are also concise. Now, uh, I, <laughs> I find that schools, colleges, even universities, who tell students, write a X number of word assignment on whatever, are actually, in, in some instances, for students who are struggling with, with the content of what they're trying to do, the word count becomes their goal, yes. not answering the question. And as somebody who has to mark these painfully written assignments, it, it actually is quite painful to, to read a student who starts off telling how they, they understand the question and why the question is deep and meaningful to them and why the question is a good question and how the question should be you know, really given deep, considerate mm. thought and they've used up half their word count and they haven't answered the question. And so one of the things that I would encourage people to do is concise writing. If you don't need that word in that sentence, and this is one of the things that William Zinzer does a lot, take it out. Mm. In fact, any newspaper editor... Uh, is not is is really impressed by a journalist who can say just tell the story in as few words as possible it's a real art and if you look at newspapers really good newspapers and i'm sure our own local newspaper the examiner you'll you'll see this all through the paper where the editor has had to or, or the editor or sub editor has had to make sure that the journalist has not said too much and has said enough and has used just the right words to say it. So, Cameron, after we come back from this song, how about I, I talk about one of the masters of concise writing and how he actually told an entire story that moved everybody who heard it read to tears. Hmm. And it was only six words long. Let's come back after this song and we'll talk about that. Okay. That's good. Talking about better writing on YFM this morning. It's the incomparable Barry Gibb and the Bee Gees there. That version of words uh, recorded live at, uh, of course, uh, in uh, Las Vegas during the one night only concert there with words. Talking about words, how it has an effect on people. Uh, obviously in a loving situation there, but um, words can have an effect in uh, many ways. And that's what we're pretty much tying in this morning with the... Uh, with the Wednesday morning discussion with Dr. Andrew Corbett talking talking today about better writing, and I think we were describing before the the song there, Andrew, uh, how when we put well, any if we write something, um, you know, the way we write it can have a big effect on history, but it can have an effect on anything, and it might be in a different way to what you intentionally had it to be. Sure, and I, I think Cameron, we. We live in an age when written words still carry a tremendous amount of weight in history. And when when people can craft words well, they know they can move people well. Mm. And sometimes the, the same thing can be told using different words and create completely different effects. And... In the upcoming YFM newsletter, actually, we've got a business section on there, and at the back of it, there, there'll be a, a section that talks about how different companies use words. And uh, in this this current newsletter, we're talking that, that'll be coming out shortly. We'll talk about how, for example, two companies who basically do the same thing—that is, Apple and Dell 
but they use words quite differently. Apple uses words in a very clever way, and Dell uses words in a different way. And yet one company is unbelievably successful, apparently has more cash reserves than the entire US government, and the other company is struggling really to make headway and in fact is I think the subject of a, a, a merger takeover at the moment, that's Dell. And yet it's just the, really a matter of how they use words and it's, it's very interesting. So you can read about that in the upcoming YFM newsletter. But uh, when, we, when we talk about words, we're talking about writing concisely. Now someone has picked up on, a, on this comment that's come up on the Twitter feed and I'll, I'll come to Josh's comment in just a moment. But um, great writing is concise writing. And sometimes a, a very clever writer, a great writer, will say a lot by not saying something. In other words, they have very carefully used their words so that their words are telling you something without actually saying it. Now that is phenomenally clever, really, really clever. I can't think of a, a, a more clever example of this than a story once told by Ernest Hemingway. In fact, Ernest Hemingway, I think, is one of the few writers in literary history who's won both the Pulitzer Prize and He's also won the Nobel Prize for Literature. I think, he, I think he won them a year apart. So clearly regarded as one of the greatest writers of all time. And Ernest Hemingway was known for his ability to say a lot without using a lot of words. It's a, a remarkable ability. Now, not every writer uses that. For example, uh, Josh has written on my Facebook wall because there's people listening in on this online right now and Josh has written so uh, Tolkien, uh, Tolstoy, Savant uh, were not great writers. Now of course these people wrote mammoth works. Um, War and Peace by Tolstoy is, is one of the you know one of the largest volumes of literature uh, that we have today. A huge huge volume. Well, of course, the simple response to that is concise writing is, is not measured by how many words are used. It's, it's measured by the quality of the words used. And in arguably in War and Peace, for example, there's, there is a concise use of language. He, Tolstoy used used the language that was necessary to convey and he didn't use any more. Now, the fact that it's quite a large book doesn't take away from the fact that great writing is concise writing and I'm sure as I give you this example it will hopefully drive this point home. Ernest Hemingway once was in a, a bar, he was known to like a drink Cameron, and someone recognised him and came up and of course he'd already been lauded with the, the Nobel Prize for Literature and so he was he was very well known and he, he had a, a reputation for being very concise. So someone said, I, I, I bet you could tell an entire story with just six words. And he paused for a moment and said, yes, I could. 
And apparently the, the bar, which was full, uh, hushed. And they, they, they listened as Ernest Hemingway told this six-word story that has now gone down in history as one of the most concise, profound, and moving stories ever told. When he finished the story, those women present in the bar began to sob and then heave, uh, just, just so moved. And eventually, men were seen wiping tears from their eyes. From just six words, Cameron, a powerful, powerful story. And here it is. For sale. Baby shoes. Never worn. Mm. Now, the, the, the impact of that hit women first. Mm. As they considered those six very carefully chosen words. And it, I remember I've told this six-word story to each of my children from quite a young age. And in fact, I think it was uh, Zoe, who's, who I know is listening right now, because she's also hey, Zoe. On, on Facebook. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Just following, oh, okay. following some of this as well, as, as several people are. And I, I, I said... I remember asking her, I think she was probably about eight years of age, I remember asking her, tell me, what, what, what's this story about? And it was amazing how this eight-year-old girl was able to say, well, it's about a couple who, who, who've just known tragedy. They, they, they had a baby and they lost their baby mm, and mm. they're deeply upset. And I'm thinking, goodness me, you know, this is incredible. So Ernest Hemingway's story with those six carefully constructed words, six carefully chosen words, <laughs> is is one that has moved people. Yeah. And it's 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 very, very I think it's a very fine example of how sometimes we think in order to say a lot you need to use a lot yes. of words. Mm. And you don't. Now, Cameron, I'm a a preacher. It's the main thing I do. And, and you go on for 20 minutes as well. And, and, <laughs> so you just and, contradicted what you say. No, sorry, I'm only joking, mate. It's all right. Um, <laughs> as, a, as a preacher, I, I, I have to take words and yes. carefully construct them. And yes. you're right, our, our Finding Truth Matters program goes for 28 minutes. Mm. And so that, that program is one where... Words are carefully constructed. Yes. You know, for the, the bigger the occasion, for example, I, I just did a wedding on mm -hmm. Saturday. Uh, congratulations to Nick and Kate, or should I say Mr. and Mrs. Norman, who were just married. And you know, Cameron, part of that, every time I marry a couple and I've got, I think I've got 10 weddings or 11 weddings this year, and every time I marry a couple, I, I, there's, there's parts of that service that I customise just for them. And, and I'll take my time and I will write a prayer for them and I will then write some, some thoughts to be introduced into the ceremony. Well, Cameron, the, the prayer that I, used, that, I, that I used in that ceremony on Saturday was three sentences. 
And I'm almost embarrassed to tell you, it took me two or three days to write that. By writing it out, recrafting it, and coming back and looking at it and, and adjusting it, and then practicing it so that I could deliver it so that it didn't sound like I was reading it. Mm. And I do that for every wedding. I'm, I'm having spent upwards six to nine months with a couple. I'm getting to know them. And so I'm customizing this and I'm select, carefully selecting words that I think are appropriate for them. And this brings me to one of the more profound points that William Zinzer definitely makes. In fact, he gives examples of this, that there's no such thing as good writing. Yeah. No such thing as good writing. There's only ever good rewriting. Yes. And, and, and whenever you write something, and I would strongly recommend those people who write a lot of emails well sometimes you write an email in anger you ever done that cameron <laughs> uh yes <laughs> i think we we all have yeah you would know that i do Andrew. I, 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 I didn't want to actually i didn't actually want to point that out <laughs> yes you did you wanted me to point it out <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> you know, like yes. when when you complain that the the, the coffee's run out. What what are we doing here? And you oh, I don't do and, that. No, no, no. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so you know, when, whenever you write something in anger, if if you press send, you are a repeat after me, silly goose, silly you know? goose, <laughs> because you'll always regret it. You'll always regret it. So. William Zenzer says one of the, the first steps to really good writing is rewriting. You have to be able to take what you've written, put it down, come back to it, and rewrite mm. it. And it's when you, when you look at something with fresh eyes, you come back and look at it and go, oh my gosh, I'm glad I didn't send that. Yeah. That, that's, that's embarrassing. I, I really need to rework that. And there are sometimes, you know, some emails I will draft if they're really important, and they'll take me two days to craft. Uh, obviously not, you know, it's not the only thing I'm doing in those two days, but there's there's a sense when I'm looking at it, I, I'll come back, I go, oh, no, got to rework that, and then put it aside, come back, look at it again, no, got to rewrite that. Now, of course, the the more you do this, the the better you get at it and with today's technology Cameron that we have things like electronic thesauruses they give you word options and I use thesaurus nearly all the time and I, and I would strongly recommend people to use thesaurus to find the right word let's come back after yep. the news and give some very practical tips on how people can write better Awesome. I'm learning a lot this morning because I speak a lot, but I don't write a lot. So there you are. We'll be back with more after the news on YFM with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Yes, we're here with Dr. Andrew Corbett once again uh, for the Wednesday morning discussion talking about better writing today. And I want to endorse uh, Dr. Andrew. He is a very good writer. In fact, uh, a lot of the time if I'm to write a letter to somebody, um, I often go to Andrew to see if he can write it better and he always seems to come up with a better way of talking about things. So, yep, you have my endorsement there, Andrew. Uh, well, I'm honoured, Cameron. <laughs> uh, I think th this, there is practice in this and the more you do something, the, 
the better you get at it. And yes. mind you, it's a, a painful process too. For those people that go through higher learning, and, and I'm talking masters beyond into, into doctoral studies, I think my, my doctoral program, when I did that, I, I've got to tell you, that was one of the most humiliating things I did because what, what you're doing is you're pouring your heart and soul into a document that essentially is your, your thesis. And you, you then have a whole, in fact, I had three supervisors. You go through one supervisor, go through another supervisor, and once, once each supervisor has passed it, it goes to a third supervisor where you defend it. And, and at each point, they all came back with massive, well, corrections. Well, actually, they weren't, the, the initial ones was massive. And you feel you feel so deflated because you poured your heart and soul into this, and they are nitpicking. I mean, nitpicking, ridiculous. And, but that's the level of writing they expect. And I found that one of the the benefits to going through that whole process, which I wasn't aware of at the time, was that I actually came out and started writing other things much better because I'd gone through that process of having to right. put, to present a a doctoral dissertation and such a such a a brutal process a humiliating process and that that whole exercise took me some seven years and at at the end of that you you are aware of using concise language you're aware of using succinct language you're aware of using the right word and in William Zinz's book on writing well, he talks about how you you have options when you have words. You, you could mm-hmm. use a certain word, but that word, when combined with the other words, doesn't quite convey what you want. And he, he shows how some words are harsh, and that's fine if you're trying to make a harsh point. Some words say the same thing, but they say it in a much gentler fashion. Now, of course, we, we, we live in a... A, a political environment where sometimes the most outrageous things are presented with warm words. So, for example, we we have just recently in Tasmania a bill passed our lower house that used language like rights, mm. fairness, access. These are all warm words they they convey they convey something that is very hard for people to counter but if you actually look at what was being proposed it was anything but warm (laughs) in fact we were just talking off air that even in france where they they just passed um same-sex marriage apparently there was a million people that protested on the streets Mm -hmm. a million people a million people came out of course none of the mainstream media that i was aware of actually reported on that and yet the parliament still passed the french parliament still passed that bill in tasmania of course 87 percent of the submissions to the state government opposed yeah the, the proposed legislation and they still passed it and it shows, I think, that while we c- you can argue some things technically, you can rally huge democratic support, unless you're able to craft what you're trying to say in an appealing way 
And appealing in this instance means we're appealing to those people who actually make the decisions. Mm. That's one of the reasons why sometimes street marches and placard waving, while it might have some cultural democratic value, it may actually have little to no effect in actually achieving its goal because it, it doesn't do anything to the people responsible for the decision. It's just a, just a thought that maybe some might want to consider. So when we're, when we're talking about using the right words, one of the things that you would find in William Zinzer's book is he would strongly recommend reading good writing. Mm. Reading good writing. Now, when you read good writing, it, it actually, it's a delight it's a joy to read. It's, it's not hard. It's not difficult to read. It, it's, it can, if you ever read a page of a book and you've had to go back and reread that paragraph, no, I still didn't get it. Go back and reread that paragraph and you get to the end of the page and you, you're not actually sure what they're trying to say. You ever read things like that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And All the time. <laughs> it's, it's very, very frustrating. Now, we we see even sometimes published things that are commercially published are strangely, curiously, not particularly well written. And something that is well written, William Zinzer will say, is something that's easy to read. And he says the job of the writer is to help the reader. Now that might sound obvious, but you don't want the reader deliberately being misled by what you're trying to say. You want mm. to help the reader. You want to be able to connect with the reader's language. So good writing involves good reading. You, you, you read good writers. One of the best writers uh, that I th would suggest anyone could read is F.W. Borum, B-O-R-E-H-A-M. You can find out more about him at F.W. Borum com he would be if we can claim him as an Australian as indeed he himself did toward the end, end of his life he was originally from England spent some time in New Zealand and then from 1906 to 1958 was a resident a citizen indeed of Australia and FW Borum is regarded as one of the greatest essayists of all time and that's a big call. But when you actually read what he's written, you'll see why. You'll see here is somebody who has crafted what he's written. There is, there, there is no way F.W. Borum wrote. He always rewrote. In fact, I've had the privilege of seeing some of the manuscripts that were written and then rewritten and then corrected and then rewritten, then rewritten again. And eventually, toward the end of his life, that process was refined to the point where he, he didn't need to rewrite, you know, three or four times. He was able to get it in one or two rewrites. And when you, when you, whenever you read F.W. Borum's writings, it's, it's almost like chocolate melting in your mouth. It's just so easy. The, the words fall off the page. And for those that struggle to read... If you read F.W. Borum, you'll discover that you may have been struggling to read because you've been reading the wrong material. You've been reading material that's actually quite difficult to read. 
So when when you read good writing, you'll you should be able to look at it and you should be able to go, what can I learn from this? And what you'll probably learn is that good writers choose their words carefully. Mm. They don't just use any words. old word. They, yeah. they they choose their words carefully. Yeah. And also they don't use a lot of words. They are very concise. They are able to look at what they've written, go back over it and go, if I take this word out, am I saying anything less? And if you don't need a word in a sentence, take it out. You Mm. don't Mm. need it. And sometimes we think a document is more important because it contains a lot of words. It's, It's a long document, therefore it must be an important document. Cameron, one of the most important documents, I think, in the recent history of Tasmania is the Salamanca Declaration. Mm. And people can find that and read that at believeintasmania.com. And they can even sign it there and become a signatory, uh, digitally sign it. And the Salamanca Declaration is is a, an extremely concise document. In fact, it's, a, a, it's, it's three sentences that are then expanded into three paragraphs it's very easy to read it's very concise and it was crafted over a a six-month period by a a group of people who are wordsmiths and if you read that document again it it says a lot without using a whole lot of words and this is one of the i think one of the main points to being able to write Mm. well Cameron, after the next song, how about we come back and we'll give just a couple more tips on how people can improve the way they write. Okay, we'll be back with that shortly. It's great stuff this morning on WayFM with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Hope you're enjoying it. Our song now called The Letter. This is from Joe Cocker. Yeah, there's Joe Cocker, of course, with his uh, version of The Letter. In those days, he uh, came up with some uh, totally different arrangement of songs that were around in the 60s. The other one, of course, was... With a little help from my friends, which uh, sounded totally different from the original Beatles version. Anyway, we're talking about writing this morning. Dr. Andrew Corbett, back to you with some more information. Well, Cameron, I think here's probably one of the, the most profound tips, maybe helpful tips people will hear today about how to write better. Have someone read it before you spread it far and wide. Mm-hmm. It's called proofreading. And Cameron, I... Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've written something, been absolutely convinced that th- this is finished, it's it's ready to go, you know, press the print button and print a million of them and send it out, only for someone, and usually it's my wife, tell me, you realise... <laughs> You realise you've got a spelling mistake here or you realise you've missed a word here or do you realise your this whole sentence here is totally convoluted. I, I can't understand at all what you're trying to say here. And you go back and reread it and, and darn it, she's usually right. And <laughs> <laughs> so one of the best things you can do when you write is if, you know, the first thing is to, to write it, put it down, come back to it and have a look at it yourself and then secondly is write it. And once you've come back at it, read it, looked at it, it you'll, st- you'll still miss things. You, you'll still not see what everyone else will see. 
So it's best to find out about that before you push send and send it to your mailing list of 20, 30, 40 people and look like a look like a, a goose really because if you can put out something that's well written and we 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 will all end up making this mistake, you know, we we'll we'll put something out there that's you know perhaps a little bit sloppy and the next time we put something out people are going to go, "Oh boy, this is the guy that sends out sloppy stuff. It's so hard to read." Whereas if we put it to a proofreader and have somebody look at it and go, hey, you, you, you missed a word here. I, I didn't quite get this. What were you trying to say here? And in, in that process, you'll actually refine what you have written. So that's there's there's two big tips right from the start. Firstly, put it down, come back to it. So do, be your own proofreader. Secondly, yeah, yeah. get someone else to proofread it. Get someone else to, to have a look at it, make suggestions. And, and this is where it takes a little bit of humble pie eating to be able to process that. Because when, when someone comes and says, look, I don't get it. I, I don't get what you're trying to say. I don't care. Um, I, I don't understand why you've used these words, I don't understand why you've said this. Someone might come along and also if you're writing a, a, a technical thing and, and I'll, I'll talk just in, in a moment for those people that want to get involved in the process of writing for um, political change perhaps, that sometimes when, when, you, when you write things like this, you, you will need to be very careful that you distinguish between your argument, your opinions, and what we might call ridicule. Yeah. I think this is this is particularly important. When uh, Cameron just the other day on, uh, I think it was YouTube, I had someone write in response to one of the videos I've got there. Now I've got got about 200 videos on YouTube and somebody wrote, um, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. This is totally wrong. Never, never heard anything so stupid. You must be stupid. This is stupid. And I, and I just think <laughs> Good you're, heavens. you're stupid. You know, it's, that was, that was, I'm summarizing. I'm giving the Reader's Digest I'm, and, and filtering it for, for the airwaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, it's then that I've I've got the choice, and I used to delete all of those comments. And sometimes people just like to be nasty. These days, I generally leave them up there, and I will respond, and I will respond in a way that uh, says, "Well, thank you. But let, let's assume that you're right. Let's assume that I am stupid. What is it about what I've said that you've got a problem with?" So, in other words. All they've done is offered ridicule, and, and ridicule is not reason. Ridicule is something that if you're going to write well, avoid ridicule. Now, I know that there are a lot of people who can be very upset with government decisions. And I guarantee you, if you write letters ridiculing our political leaders, your writing will not achieve the desired goal that you might have. And the desired goal you might have might be to have your opinion considered. It might be to have 
those political leaders perhaps look at a different point of view, weigh up a different point of view. And, and by the way, political leaders do change their mind. It has been known to happen. So if you write well, it, it is possible that you could indeed persuade political leaders. But I guarantee you, if you write ridicule, you're the stupidest, whatever, this is, what are you trying to do? And you guess their motive. You know, you're only doing this because you're trying to feather your own nest or whatever. Those kind of, that kind of ridicule is not good writing. It doesn't help your cause. So if you're going to get involved in writing at that level, be very careful. If you're going to write in a way to somebody that you, you are wanting to address an issue, then you'll be very well advised to write in a way that more or less tells a story. In fact, some of the best writing, even when they're trying to convey a fact, is writing that tells a story. Now, I'm, I'm going to suggest that, that the best story you can tell is a story that involves you. Because no one else has your story. Your story is unique. And no one can tell it like you can tell it. And if you, can, if you think about things that are written that we are all drawn to, we, we, all, we, we all warm to a story. Whereas just hardcore facts you know, are soon lost, soon forgotten, soon send us to sleep, we're all very cold about. But if you can write in a way that tells a story, you may end up achieving your goal of however you want to influence someone or achieve the desired outcome far more likely than if you just give hard, cold, statistical facts. All right. So, Karen, th there's some things. We haven't touched on all the other forms of writing. Uh, we, we, I could have mentioned that, you know, for those people that are involved in public speaking, sometimes the best thing you can do, in fact, it's almost certainly the best thing you can do, is, is to write a lot because it's in writing you look for the precise word it's in speaking that you'll need that precise word. And if you're not accustomed to writing and searching and looking and selecting carefully crafted words, then chances are when you're speaking, you won't be able to do it on the fly either. So there's a couple of suggestions. So Karen, this will be available on our website a bit later today if people just want yep. to go back over this as, will, uh, as are some of our other discussions they can visit wavefm.org.au slash download and have a look online and, mm. and get some of our our previous Wednesday discussions. And we've got a look, good-looking new website as well. The uh, website yeah. looks yeah. really nice. In fact, on the homepage, if they go to wavefm.org.au, there's a, there's a clip that I've put there which I talk about in our upcoming newsletter our newsletter will be going out uh, at the end of this week, so people may start to receive at the end of this week or early next week. And I talk about the power of music, and on our webpage we've got a clip from Britain's Got Talent. I don't know if you saw that, mm. Cameron, where Simon Cowell ridiculed a, um, a, a, a man who came out and said that he was a choir, a gospel choir. And then when the man began his act... Simon Cowell was blown away and the 
on, on our webpage, you'll see that what that choir did was the, the, the song was called I Lift My Hands in Total Praise to You. And it was worship. They were worshiping God. It was a very, very powerful thing. And all four of the judges were, were totally moved. And it just shows the power that music has to move a human soul. And, of course, that's what WaveM does. We're in the mm. business of moving souls. We're mm. in the business of touching people's lives with inspirational music, inspirational words of wisdom. And, Cameron, we, we do want to thank our listeners and supporters we we could not do what we do without you. We we just say thank you very much for it. If you are able sure to uh, contribute to the the running of WFM, uh with a donation, uh, right now that would be really appreciated. We're we're having a bit of a fundraising campaign at the moment so that we can continue to cover our costs. And if you believe in what we're doing, uh, please give us a call six three three four zero one hundred. Go to our Facebook page. You'll find uh, WayFM on Facebook as well. Uh, or go to our website. You'll see how to connect with us there as well because we could really use your help right now. Okay. And Cameron, I'll be back next Wednesday with another discussion. Awesome. Thanks, uh, Dr. Andrew. And, of course, you can uh, catch Dr. Andrew with Finding Truth Matters tomorrow night from 8.30. But he'll be back uh, next week, as he just said. And, of course, the program will be available for download shortly on our website. This is Launceston's YFM 105.3 and 98.1 and streaming on the web at YFM. It's now 9.30.